Welcome to another edition of KBC Arts, arts and entertainment as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On a previous show, we heard from multi-instrumentalist Joe DiFiore about his release Out of the Woods, a blend of classical and contemporary instrumental works, several of which his own composition. Joe joins us once again to talk about some other recordings and cool video work and music from video games. First, though, we welcome back Raymond Rusty Strait, continuing an introduction and skimming across the surface of his many books. And while he worked with Jane Mansfield for the last decade of her life, this was not his first book. We'll talk about that in just a bit, but first... Rusty, I'd noted that you not only went to some of the colleges in this region, but you ended up teaching in this region as well. I taught creative writing at Mount San Jacinto for nine years. Okay, okay. So there's actually probably a lot of people around here that know you and maybe had influence in what they're doing today. Uh, oh, I'm very well known. I've started a couple of writers groups in the Hemet area that are still existent, and Straight Jackets Magazine, it's an online magazine. And I've been involved with the political scene around him, and I was on the library board for 18 years. And, you know, I just keep doing things. Can I adjust that straight jackets for a second to sure. uh, the title for that? Well, I was in a bowling league once, and my team was called the Straight Jackets. Ah, uh, And we decided to have this online magazine, and Straight Jackets was what I suggested, <laughs> and that's what they adopted, and that's what it is today. I'm not involved with it much anymore. I'm sort of a past emeritus something or other. Gotcha. But I still keep in touch with the writing group, and I still sing karaoke nice. twice wow. a week. We mentioned you teaching and going to school at some of the colleges in this region. You are also on the air in this region. Now we're talking about KCAA in San Bernardino here, formerly a co-host with Fred Primley's In the Mix. Tell me about what was this program? What did you do? I was just talking. I also did a radio show with Kevin Spear, a lawyer from Hemet at KPHY in Paris for a year and a half. We had a talk show. Well, I think the first book, if I have it right... I would have thought that your first book would have been Jane Mansfield, but there were a few before that. Yes. And I believe the first one we have is Mrs. Howard Hughes. Yes. I know very little about Howard Hughes and even less about his wife. So what brought you to write about her? Well, Jean Peters, she was an actress and a very good actress, and she was from Columbus, Ohio. And my stepmother and her mother worked together at Lazarus Department Store in Columbus, Ohio. I didn't know that until much later. <laughs> But I wrote a story about her when she came back to do a TV thing she did. And we started communicating, and she wrote me and thanked me for an article I wrote in one of the fan magazines about her because it was sort of a comeback. And after that, Holloway House started giving me assignments. But the reason that book came about, because she had just been divorced from Howard Hughes, and she was a billionaires. She got a billion dollars worth of money out of him. And so that's how that one came about. Wow. I did notice before getting to the Jane Mansfield book, what was High Rider? High Rider was a novel. It was a story that I came up with the theme for it, but it was written under a non-diplume. That's the way they were doing it in those days. And it was about a racetrack walker, a hot walker. He was a black man. And he fell in love with a trainer's daughter who was very much looked like Elizabeth Taylor. And that was the love story. And at the very end of the story, 
we brought it together with someone that said, isn't it interesting that he married a black girl? And the final line is, well, it's in to be black nowadays. Wow. Oh, my gosh. This came out, I guess, in, in the, the early 60s, 70s. 60s. Oh, 60s. 60s. Wow. Yeah. How was that received? Controversial at this point. This is, look who's coming to dinner. Yeah, but it was a racetrack story, and it was a love story. But it was pretty much based, we knew what was coming around the corner, and we're just a little bit ahead of the game. Or around the track is this one, just around the bend. Yeah, okay. but it was an integration story. And, of course, there were those, it was once all you had to do if you were white was to be associated in any way with black, and you were tabooed. My favorite book of all time is King's Blood Royal by Sinclair Lewis, hmm. which is about a white man in Iowa, of all places, mm -hmm. who discovered he had 132nd Negro blood, and he told it at the dinner table one night, and it destroyed his life. That's the way it used to be, and it was very much that way where I grew up. In West Virginia. Yes. Most of my friends were black when I grew up, and my uncle told my mother, are you sure he's yours? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, you've interviewed so many what we would just simply call stars, actors, musicians, and whatnot, but then also you've written about, well, one of the titles, Star Babies and also Hollywood's Children, this one dealing with children of stars. And so I'm curious, Rusty, if this was something that you thought would be a good book and then started reaching out to people, or if it was a case of you kept on finding out stories about these children, and then you found out that you had enough material for a book. I made a suggestion to St. Martin's Press, which was my publisher at the time, that there are not a lot of books written about the children of stars. Mm -hmm. uh, children of stars sometimes write books, and they thought it was a good idea. And I did about 60, 70, 80 interviews for the three books. Wow, yes. I mentioned Star Babies, Hollywood Children, and then Hollywood's Star Children, yeah. okay, much later on. Who were some of the people that you covered in that? I know there's a lot, but just maybe some of the first Mamie ones Mamie Van Doren's son. There was Will Gear's daughter. Oh, cool. Vic Damone's son. I interviewed Dorothy Lamour's son. I worked with Clark Gable's son, but we never finished. We were going to do a book together, but he decided he didn't want his drug problems aired, and they had mm. already been aired in the Enquirer, so it just never came about. And Martha Ray's daughter... Catherine Grayson's daughter, Jackie Cooper's son. Cool. I could go on. If I had the books here, it'd be a lot easier for me. To sure. Do. Well, we'll do, do some that. focusing on these books. What about James Garner? Was that another and assignment? Garner or was another loved? assignment. Garner didn't work with me, but he wished me luck. And I interviewed so many people that knew him. It turned out to be a pretty good book. That's something that would really draw me in as a child. Of course, I know the Rockford Files, but then again, also from older movies like The Great Escape, for example, one of my all-time favorite movies that Garner's prominent in. Can you just share with us something that we couldn't read elsewhere about him? I interviewed Lindsay Wagner one time, and she had just nothing but wonderful things to say about James Garner. What you see is what you get. Yeah. He was very much like John Wayne in that respect. You know, you see a John Wayne movie, that's John Wayne. And you see a Garner movie, that's Garner. And he took on the studios, and he also took on the fan magazines. He almost single-handedly destroyed the fan magazines because they would write big front-page exposés, and inside they wouldn't say anything. It would be just a blurb on the front, and the story had nothing to do with it. And he sued, and he won. Here's a question ripe for stories, I think. 
You have a book called Investigation Hollywood, and this is a bio of a private eye. Fred Otash? Fred Otash. Okay. He was the top private eye in Hollywood. He was the investigator for Confidential Magazine. Mm. He was the editor at one point of Penthouse Magazine. Oh. And he was once the manager of the Palladium in Hollywood. Fred was known by everybody. He had been an L.A. cop. He was a Marine in the beginning. And he grew up on Hyannisport. And his father was a carpet man. And his father used to take up the Kennedy carpets in the summertime and clean them and bring them back in the winter. And he grew up there. And he was in the Marine Corps. And then he became a cop after he got out of the Marines. He was a cop for 10 years in L.A. And he used to talk about it. He'd say, you know, now I protect people that I used to put in jail. And he was the private eye involved the night of the wrong way door with Sinatra and Marilyn Monroe and all of that with her husband. I would imagine this biography of him, was this as much a book about the man himself or more even looking at a lot of the stories about what he was investigating? He'd sit down with me. We talked about stories about his cases. Mm. That was really what it was, all about the cases he handled. And he was very unique. As a matter of fact, he was hired by Jimmy Hoffa. Bernie Spindell, who was a PI on the East Coast, had him come down to Miami and had a meeting with Hoffa because Jimmy Hoffa did not like Bobby and Jack Kennedy. And so he brought Fred down and they hired Fred to wherever those two men went to be there ahead of him and have everything was wired. (laughs) That's how Fred was there the night that Marilyn Monroe died. He was busy taking down tapes. Oh, wow. That's a whole story we can talk about one day. You've written about so many folks in the world of entertainment. So, naturally, I'd like to hear about how you came to write about Rasputin. Okay, there's a kind of a jump. Patty Barham, okay, whose father was William Randolph Hearst's guy, who was the publisher and editor of the Hollywood Express, the afternoon paper. And she was very close to Marion Davis and the Hearst people. So she and I did a lot of stories. She's a writer. So Maria Rasputin came to live with her in America. And she wanted to do a story about her father. So that's what it was. I ghosted that for her. But I got paid pretty well for it. But Maria Rasputin's daughter used to sit at Patty's in Patty's front for you at the house, and when people would come to a party of guests, she'd stamp her hand and say, I am Maria Rasputin. Rasputin <laughs> was my father, and they had a hard time killing him. <laughs> and Patty Barham is very well known. She was a writer. Everybody knew Patty. Wow, that is too cool. Again, I was just, you know, looking at these folks like Bob Hope, Alan Alda, James Garner, and then we get to Rasputin. I had to know about why and how that one would have come to be. Here's something we alluded to earlier. You were Jane Mansfield's press secretary for the longest time. And I guess I'm just going to say it because this could be an edit point. I'm almost afraid to ask about the title. Here they are. That was the second book that I did on Jane. On Jane? Okay. Yeah. I stole that. Jane was on Jack Parr's show way back when, in the 50s, I think it was late 50s or early 60s. And Dick Cavett was the announcer. And she went on the show and he said, here they are, Jane Mansfield. And I thought, well, that would make a hell of a title. 
Yes, indeed. But I gave him credit for it. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't object if you plagiarize a little bit if you give them credit. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. Plagiarism is fine as long as you cite your sources a- properly. the source. <laughs> now, in some cases here, we're talking about, oh, like Rosemary Clooney or Alan Alda, James Garner. We mentioned them. But now we have a book, My Life with Lana Turner. So in this case, it's not a book about Lana per se. I, I did that book with Eric Root. Eric Root was Lana Turner's companion Mm -hmm. for about 25 years. And he traveled with her. And he did a book with some other guy. And Dove Books wanted their money back. They didn't like that. It was just all paste-ups. And they weren't happy with the book at all. And he knew me because he lived in Hemet. He called me one day and asked me, he said, you're a writer, aren't you? And I thought, oh, my God, you know I'm a writer. <laughs> and he said that he might have a book for me. And he didn't tell me. They wanted their money back, their advance. And so he asked me, he had some, need some references. And there was an editor of fan magazines in New York. They asked her, because they knew I'd written some fan magazines. So he called her and said, well, you know, I think maybe I can get Ray Strait to write this book with me. And he said, for, oh, for God's sake, you can get Ray, get him. Wow, And nice. the editor at Dove said, oh, my God, yes. And that's how I came to do that. And the book is more about Eric Ruth than it is about Lana Turner because Eric kind of thinks he's a reincarnation of Lana, I think. Hmm. But he's a nice guy. But anyhow, I rewrote that book. Some of these books have come out again have been republished, but well, this one was a case of rewriting. Yeah, the Lou Costello book, Chris just recently did it on audio, and it's out now, just out now on audio. Oh, just out. Okay. Now, oh, I always have something, and I've got several books that are being republished as audio books, and like Barnes & Noble and Amazon, they have this Kindle and all that. Right. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. This is. Oh, I still get royalties for some of those books. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have one in my pocket right now. <laughs> cool. I have to go to the bank today. Find books by Raymond Strait in most bookstores and online retailers. Also, to hear the rest of the conversation which appeared on a previous KVC Arts, go to kvcrnews.org slash arts and scroll down until you see his name. Or also at our website, you can search Raymond Strait. I'm David Fleming. You're listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR, streaming at kvcrnews.org. As KVC Arts continues, we welcome back Joe DiFiore and check out some of his recordings of video game music. This was a triumph I'm making a note here Huge success Hard to overstate my satisfaction Aperture science We do what we must because we can For the good of all of us Except the ones who are dead But there's no sense crying over every mistake You just keep on trying till you run out of the science gets done and you make a neat gun for the people who are still alive. A severe departure now, but this is fun because 
I initially was going through this CD, and then I decided, gosh, he ought to have a website. And then I thought, okay, he has a website. I went there. And then we get to the YouTube channel link. And I don't remember if it worked or not, but I just went to YouTube and then typed in your name. And I found a lot of fun stuff. And so we're going to cover the world of video games. Sure. And there's a song called Still Alive. This is from a video game called Portal. And you and a few other folks got together for this. This looks like one of those very pandemic-related productions, <laughs> everybody in their own studio. Is that what this was? No, it was actually, oh, really? I think I released it just before the pandemic hit. So I think mm. I remember recording March this on- March 8th. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it was actually on Super Bowl Sunday in February of 2020, actually, oh, wow. come to think of it. Wow. Then I came by their house and then, I think it was like the Super was going out and then we would record at the same time. <laughs> so it was, it was going in and out. It was always changing. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Go ahead and leave me. I think I prefer to stay inside. Maybe you'll find someone else to help you. So of anything to cover, how did you end up with Still Alive? I mean, because we've been talking about you touring with the Glenn Miller Orchestra and classical music and a wonderful education in the world of music. And I don't know why it should be a surprise that you end up doing covers of video game tunes. So how did you end up with Still Alive? This is kind of a pretty song that goes through the closing credits of Portal, if anybody's wondering about this, Portal being this video game. Thanks. So, sure. It came about because just about all of my songs on my channel, especially at that time, were all instrumental. And I had feeling something was missing, and I felt yeah, that Crystal I wanted... Crystal was missing. Exactly. <laughs> so I felt like I needed some vocals on it, and it seemed to me that Crystal, who I had played with for such a long time, worked with tons of times, it just felt was like kind of the perfect fit for a song like that, too. And I know she's also a fan of video game music, too, so it was kind of like a perfect combination of wanting to have a vocals on a piece and having her collaborating on one of my projects as well. On the video, you do see her playing some keyboards. That one part, when a person sees this, everybody's taking it very seriously. Then another part, people are doing the bass face and uh, <laughs> and just do all these expressions that a person will see a consummate musician making. But anyway, she goes from vocals, which is what she starts off with, to doing some keyboard work as well. Do you know what is her primary instrument? Is it her voice or is it the keys? I think it started both, but I think she was first a pianist okay. first. She played at a church for a long time since she was like a kid. Mm. If I remember correctly, someone told me, like, hey, can you, like, sing on this one? Because you're already playing piano or play background vocals. And I think it just kind of grew about nice. there. Really nice voice, and especially with this song, Still Alive. also cover the Harry Potter theme. Now this one is pretty incredible to watch. I'm just going to have to give a spoiler on this in that uh, this again 
It's one of those where you've got a person coming in and playing one instrument, and then the person joins themselves in harmony with the other instrument, and then this is you, and it goes quickly from one or two or three instruments up to four, and then it looks like a Brady Bunch opening because there's the perfect grid with all of these pictures of Joe. Oh, and he's dressed up in the cape yep. and the mark of Voldemort up the there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautifully done. Thank you for doing that. That just made it. But at some point, my God, you're up there playing every type of flute and several different types of sax and uh, who knows what, clarinet as well. Wow. So how many instruments are on this one? Do you know? I mean, this is... I think probably nine or ten, I would say. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think ten, because I think <laughs> of it. So you will see Joe coming in, and soon he's accompanying himself on a few instruments. Hey, nice harmony. Great. Thanks, Joe. And then you get six pieces, and then eight pieces. It's incredible. It's just all of a sudden, all these different pieces. Do you hear all this in your head? Or were you playing one of them and then just simply harmonizing off of that? I sort of hear it. You know, I try to come pretty close to the original itself. So I was trying to think of like, well, I do play a lot of instruments. I'm going to play every instrument, so mm. one of them is the brass. So I try to find a good replacement with that. So I know the saxophone is usually a good replacement for that. I knew it was a pretty ambitious one mm. to do, and it was always one because it probably took me the most time out of all the pieces I've done. Yeah. But for me, it was just kind of just a matter of just curing it. I had already transcribed, if not saw, some of the score of it already. And so for me, it was kind of a matter of orchestrating. Okay. What they would call and seeing, just kind of hearing my head, what part works best here, what part can sound the best or project the most or cut through. So there's a bit of that as well, is trying to hear what works best in certain harmonies kind of going on. Gotcha. Are you one of those people that hears the microwave go off and go, ooh, C sharp? No, that is perfect pitch, which I do not have. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But I know some people have that for sure. Yeah, some people can identify the notes. Some people can't help but hear it. Now, also staying in the world of video games, I found a rather rockin' version of some Mario Brothers themes. Oh my, and I never knew that they existed like this. I played Mario a long time ago. I mean, a long time ago. And then I see this, so I don't know if what you're emulating. I'm looking at the Big Blue and Mute City here, mm -hmm. and these are actually, I mean, really rock inversions. I'm not just trying to, you know, throw in some language here. Yeah. Are these how they go in the video game? Yes, exactly. So it's interesting how video game music has developed over the years, and I think it's mostly because of A, budget, and B, space you're allowed. Mm. So if you think of the old video games from the 80s or even the 90s, I know a lot of the 90s video games, the most amount of space you could put in was incredibly small, like 50-something megabytes, okay. which is okay. incredibly small now, but at that time was huge. Sure. You know, But now in the past 10 years at least, if not more, there's just been much more room and budget to hire actual musicians and sometimes a full orchestra, like in some of the Mario games. And that was the case with the Big Blue one, is that that was from Mario Kart 8, and they hired a full band for that one for the original <laughs> with 
full rhythm section. I think it was something like nine horns on it. And I thought it was like one of the coolest soundtracks I've definitely heard, certainly of that whole Mario Kart series. So I would say that's kind of how it developed, where it got to be from like three different parts you hear in Super Mario's to a full band in the newer Mario's today. Wow, that's really incredible. And another Mario piece I found in there, this might be Paper Mario. I want to mention again, joedefiori.com. Are there any pieces that you recorded maybe when you were getting ready for this album, Out of the Woods? I call it an album sometimes in a CD, at other times it is both. You can get these in both vinyl or CD, but when you were recording for this, did you end up with any, for lack of a better word, leftovers that can easily be on the next album or anything like that? Or, or is it even too soon to be looking at, well, what's next on the agenda there, Dave? Probably too soon. I mean, the thing is that I write a lot of different types of music too, not just classical. So there are other pieces I have, but I would say that the pieces I have at least cooking up, so to say, they're probably something that wouldn't totally fit for an album like this. Mm. It's probably something more different, probably more like actual jazz. Oh, nice. If not rock or R&B. So at some point I will have some more pieces that are like this, but sometimes I just like to go in totally different directions because that's just the way I am a musician. I don't know how to pick a genre. So it's all over the place. And so right now it's just not exactly a leftover of this one, but at some point soon it will. Well, it's cool that you can go off in these different directions. And I would love to see something in the world of jazz from you. As I mentioned earlier, I just only knew of you as a clarinetist. And so when I heard of you coming out with a CD, I was like, yes, Benny Goodman rides again kind of stuff. Uh This is what we're going to get. So is there a possibility then of a jazz CD coming out in the future, or is this, we'll see how it goes? There is a possibility, so do stay tuned for it. Okay. If not, it'll be certainly jazz aligned to a degree. Beautiful. Because that's just who I grew up with. I grew up listening to the likes of Sinatra, and certainly was exposed to the likes of Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw back when I was like 11 or 12, I want to say. Wow. So certainly jazz, I think, kind of has a special place in my heart. And I feel like, especially in my compositions, and all of them, they kind of bleeds over just a little bit, sure. too. Yeah. So there's always a little bit of that. All this at the same time as your mom's Phil Collins records. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a great combination. Music and Conversation with Joe DiFiore. Once again, to round out this edition of KVC Arts, joedifiore.com, that's Joe, J-O-E, D-I-F-I-O-R-E.com, for links to some of the music we were talking about, as well as his release, Out of the Woods, on vinyl and on CD. Thanks again to Joe DiFiore and to Rusty Strait, as well as to Donald Gothels for connecting me with Rusty. Here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Sharina Wad. Music beds and themes heard on KVCR is composed and performed by Sean Longstreet, so thanks to Sean as well. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, and NPR One, and most past shows are at kvcrnews.org arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening. 
and for your support, which you can do any time of the year. You don't have to wait for the membership campaigns. Just go to kvcrnews.org support. And thanks again. Thank you.